Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to today's guest, the one and only Anthony Trucks. So Anthony, um, I met uh, through giving one of his speeches, and I've seen a fair number of speeches, but this one really moved me because Anthony endured some of the most uh, challenging circumstances I can imagine. Being given away by his mother, uh, I think at the age of three, and then um, kind of moving through the foster care system with some of the most horrific experiences you can ever imagine. But he transcended that circumstance to actually wind up uh, going into the NFL. And we talked through the course of the episode about how he shifted his mindset and different tactics and practices you can use in your own life to be resilient. As I'm recording this episode, we are amidst the corona pandemic, coronavirus, and I thought it'd be really helpful to bring someone on who came from very challenging circumstance and still maintained an incredible mindset such that he was able to thrive amidst adversity. So I hope you get a lot of value from the episode. If you do, please go ahead and leave a rating and review on iTunes. It helps me get great guests and bring them to you as well as to grow this community. So, so very, very grateful for all of you who have left uh, five-star reviews. Uh, It means the world to me. If you ever have any feedback or want to reach out, you can always reach me at Michael Trainer and Anthony Trucks is at Anthony Trucks. So I hope you guys get a lot of value out of this episode. And without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce the one and only Anthony Trucks. All right, Anthony it. Trucks. Thanks for joining us, my What's man. What's up, boss, man? It's good to, hey, good, man. Good to be with you. Um, so first off, I think, you know, context is you and I met uh, through our dear friend, Craig Clements, and I heard you talk. So you gave a presentation, a keynote on your life story, and I've yeah. seen a few talks, uh, and I've heard a few stories, but yours was truly uh, exceptional, and I thought particularly poignant for our times because of the fact that so many people are going through challenges right now and have to shift the way that they're thinking about things. And so yeah. I thought about you particularly because um, I think your story can really shed a lot of light and be of service to a great number of people. And, you know, I wanted to kind of, there's a lot of questions I want to ask, but, you know, you, you, you grew up with a particularly challenging, uh, I would say, of the most challenging uh, childhoods I've ever heard about. And um, I wondered if you could just start by, by sharing with those listening a little bit of context into where you came from. Yeah, so we'll take it to, uh, we'll take it back, back in the day. Would, would a Barty McFly, would Doc, would Doc Martin it go back in time? <laughs> uh, That's it, baby. <laughs> That's it. Man, so yeah, I grew up in craziness. I was, uh, I was, and I always tell people this. I tell the story in a sense of realizing it was, it's not the worst story in the world. Uh, it is a difficult story, but it's the one that gave me the strength to be me. Uh, and the gives me a chance to be able to share from the place. I don't need pity from it. I just need people to grasp it because it was my life, but it's not my story. It's somebody else's story, so to speak. Um, three years old, given away into foster care. I, I remember my mom actually like in the house, three years old. I remember the layout of the house, her calling my name, going to the back of the house like taking my hand, giving me a kiss, and then passing me off to some strange woman. And like, I didn't know who she was. And so like that moment, you start getting this feeling of, man, essentially, like I, I, anytime you had a feeling in your life of feeling lost or confused or like you just don't matter, unsettled at any point in time, like that was the beginning of my life. So I started with that feeling and I was being given into foster care. 
So me and my three siblings all were shipped off to a system that treated us literally like a paycheck. Uh, in a sense of if we didn't die, then they still got their money. There's no phones back in like 1986. There's no phones and no social media. There's none of this. So no matter what goes on, like no one's being told. So there's areas where like I was put in a, like a chicken coop and forced to chase chickens to earn a meal. And if not, like I starved. So like I was treated like just an animal. There's one house they put me in a shopping cart, like for, it put me in the shopping cart, pushed me downhill towards moving traffic. And like, thankfully I never got hit by a car, but like I hit the curb, get out, out they laughed me back in, do it again. One family, they put me on the corner of a, like a house, the curb, held my chin and forced me to lick the bottom of neighbor kid's shoes. Like, and I remember like my tongue would bleed. It was just like heinous stuff. So by the time I'm six years old, I'm really at a place where I don't, uh, I don't have any sense of like connection to the world. Uh, my own mom isn't around. My siblings aren't around, just completely separate from any sense of like solidarity and stability. And so what happens is at six years old, I, I get picked up and this happens like five different houses. I think prior to that point. You don't know when you're getting picked up. Like literally you show up one day, there's a car outside, a garbage bag, they ship you off. And I got picked up, went to this house, and it's the final house. And it's my family now. Problem was very, very poor. Like so poor, I mean, rats in the pantry, cockroaches in the, in the you know garage, and it would go from like black to, to concrete colors, roaches scattered. It's really weird. Like we used to get our clothes out of this black plastic bag in the middle of the hallway. And they were so wrinkly. I remember one day at school in sixth grade, this girl made fun of me because she couldn't read the logo on my shirt. It was just so like weirdly wrinkled. So we just grew up poor, man. I was the only black person in an all-white family. So I had diversity and identity issues there. And just it was really a difficult like upbringing. My real mom is still in the picture, but like ruining my life in the background the whole time. Couldn't play sports, couldn't take trips. She's like, seriously a little bit loopy. And another eight years of this, my mom has this drunk husband at first. She remarries a new guy who's a great guy. So by 14 years old, I'd gone through the system like 11 years, eight in this family, and never knowing for sure if I had this as my home. And then I got up in front of a judge, in front of my real mom, and told my mom, hey, I no longer want you to be my mom anymore. Severed rights could get adopted. And life turned around. And we'll go into deep like parts of it, but this was like the first level where life became a little bit unique and like better, we'll call it. It was the first time I knew that this house that I woke up in, I for sure get to go to sleep in today. 14 years old was the first time I get a chance to feel that. Uh, unfortunately, my adoptive mom gets diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And she's like this joyous woman, like, and no one knows how this happened. My older brother goes to the military. I'm one of six in the family. So like he was my rock and he's gone. And I'm trying football for the first time in my life. I've been playing at recess and I was a monster at recess, but I put a helmet on and I was sucked. Like it was horrible. And it ends up being this feeling. It does. It's weird. And anybody can, can connect to this. If you've ever tried something or aspired to try something, and then when you try it, you suck at it. You're met with that internal feeling of like, oh, this sucks. And you don't you don't go back into it a lot of the times. And I didn't. Man, I, I uh, actually kind of tucked away. It was like somewhere I was like, you know what? I don't want to expose myself to the pain of sucking at this. So I'll make a good excuse. I'll steer clear. And my excuse was, this foster kid, man. Like, I'm, I'm not supposed to be anybody. Like, and I didn't find out until recently. If you go to any prison in America, 75% of the inmates are former foster kids. 50% of the homeless population, former foster kids, or spent time in foster care, and less than 1% of foster kids ever graduate from college. So, like, I'm not set up to do well. So, at about 15 years old at this time, checked out, man. Life was uh, life was different. So, we, we made some changes, did some cool things as to now. Because now I've, I've played on, you know, NFL. I've been an American Ninja Warrior. I have an amazing wife and family, seven-figure businesses, speaker, coach, author, a whole lot of craziness. And I'm, I'm finally hitting that stride after like six years of doing this where people are like, oh, this guy actually exists. So like I'm finally, <laughs> you know, 
but it's been fun, man. It's been a blast trying to take what I've experienced and, and turn it into something beneficial for the world. Yeah. And I think you, what you hit on there, I think really resonates because obviously, you know, you sort of, you, you gave the sort of beginning and you gave the end, uh, and we'll delve a little bit into, into sort of how you got here, but yeah. you know, such extraordinary circumstances to go from where you came from in terms of really, it sounded like have no one having your back. I mean, literally the embodiment of, of no one having your back and, oh, and, well. and being besieged with profound challenges, but yet what distinguishes, and then statistically, and this, that's what actually blew me away when I first heard you speak, was I, didn't, I had no notion or context, and I th- don't think most people do, of the degree to which the prison population and the homeless population is filled with uh, folks who have graduated, so to speak, from the foster care system, which based on, yeah. your, on your narrative uh, make, makes sense, but is, is profoundly saddening. That said, it's also amazing when you hear someone come from such profoundly challenging circumstances, use their mindset, because ostensibly that was, uh, that was it seemed like your greatest asset, to mm-hmm. transcend and create an entirely new reality, a reality that many people with all the gifts given to them don't necessarily create. So if we could kind of, I want to unpackage that a little bit of, yeah. When you when you started to play football, obviously there was there was something in that for you. Um, what what was it about the game? I mean, obviously there's physical aspects, etc. But what was it about the game of football which you wound up so excelling at? But as you said, you didn't start off excelling at. What was <laughs> it that that gave uh, gave you solace in the game of football? And what what did it teach you? You know, to be honest, it's the same as anybody trying anything that that sparks their interest. It was uh, it was aspiration of something that would give me a, a sense of an outlet and self worth. Is it like outlet and self worth? Because we all have these these pent up energies that we want to do something with. I don't want to go with. I just oh, I want to do something, but we don't know what to do with it. At the same time, we also want to have this sense of self worth. Like we we want to and need to feel like we're giving something to the world that makes us feel good. Or we just fall short because, like, you know, if you try, if you do something for someone and never say thank you, you stop wanting to do it. You know, it's the same. I didn't want self worth. So for me, football was that thing. Great outlet because I got to go hit people and not get in trouble for it. Like, that's a, <laughs> was a beautiful thing. And when I had these, I had this desire, like, to let this pent up energy out. But it was the first time that I could go out and do something and the world said, you're awesome. Like, that was it. Like, but I, I didn't actually at first get that you're awesome. And that was kind of where. Like what you call mindset, it, I, I look at it as more of like it's like mindset's one of the subset of like six areas of the work I do, which is identity that ties it. It was built there though. Cause here's the thing that nobody saw and I didn't talk about is at 15, I had this thing where I checked out. I was like, I'm done. I would go to class. I would have a black parka cover on my head. I have a baggy cinnamon toast crunch. I would just kind of sleep through class and just be done. And I remember there's one day, Mr. Howell's English class. I'm in the back right corner. There's two girls sitting next to me on the sofa. And one girl's talking to another girl, and I just rattle that information off, and I poignantly hear her say, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And I was like, one of those, like, wow, like that, that's a really bad-sounding excuse. And it was a gift, though, because it was actually my excuse. And when you hear your excuse out loud, it, it sometimes sounds like, ah, that's stupid. That's a really dumb excuse, you know? So she said this thing, I was like, ugh, like, it just sounds gross. And that, but that's what I'm saying. And I remember it sat with me all day. And I went home and I was like, you know what, Aunt? I don't know what's going on or how it's panning out, but like you're going to be great. I looked myself in the mirror and said, you're going to be great. I literally remember the, how, the, where I was sitting, the, the mirror on the wall. Like I just, 
And then the thing was from that point, what 15 years old, what does great mean? Like, you don't know what great, I was 15 back in, you know, 1998 or something. I don't know what it was. And so it was like, uh, I was like, all right, I'm gonna be great at getting girls phone numbers. Cause you know, it's what high school boys do and like football. And uh, I did, I did great at both. Anyways, I'm just kidding. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I get to this point where like, I was like, I gotta, I gotta do this thing. And here's what I started with. I said, I want to start by doing what the good football players do. Cause I don't know what those things are. Like, I just, you know, I'm gonna go research. I was in the San Francisco Bay area set so Jerry Rice running with his like booty shorts up hills. I'm like, I'll go do some of that. You know, I'll lift weights, catch footballs. Like I want to do everything I could that would be outside the norm of what anybody else was doing because I wanted to be great. And here's the unique thing that I found that transferred all of like the mental perspective of being this guy that sucked to like, I'm, I'm a dope dude. Right. And it's everybody can get, it's a simple statement of what you create creates you. And for me, what I was creating was a stronger athlete, a more refined, a more skilled, a more confident, like I was creating a physical body, but every repetition creating a more like a more self-confident Anthony, like something that like went from a guy who was thinking about on this side, thinking about doing the things a good football player does to becoming a good football player. And when, with the changes there is when I've created this and I am this guy, I protect this guy with my actions the same way a mom protects her, her I'm a, I'm a great mom with her actions of being a great mom or uh, a great, you know, race car driver protects their actions by being a great race car driver, right? I'm going to do the workouts. I'm going to run the, you know, do the laps. I'm going to, you know, tune the car, whatever it is. You start doing those things and you fight for yourself in the moments that need you to fight to win. Whereas most people, they try something, they get to that same moment, but it's not who they are and they know it. So they don't fight for it. They fall short of it and they watch somebody else live their dream. And in those moments, I got to a point where I was like, all right, I'm a great football player and nobody was allowed to beat me. And it carried on. Wow. So the identity of the football player protected the more fragile identity from from the, the, replaced it. Exactly. That's beautiful. So I've 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 actually heard in the context of and I know this is part of your work is focusing on shifting and, and given where we're at and given I think the fact that everyone right now is we're in a very unique collective moment during this sort of coronavirus outbreak where everyone is impacted and everyone is um, sort of forced to shift. And what in that process, I was just on LinkedIn and and reading an article, for example, you know, they were postulating uh, upwards of something like 25 million jobs that are travel related uh, will likely be impacted. And mm-hmm. so I was, you know, my heart went out for those, for those families, for those people. And I was thinking about, all right, well, what is the opportunity? You know, uh, one of the gentlemen I interviewed was a, a, a gentleman by the name of Ryan Holiday. And he wrote the book, The Obstacle is the Way, which is one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's all about that seeing sort of the, 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 the challenge as the way. And yeah. one of the things that I believe deeply in, and I, and I, and I suspect you do as well, but I, I really want to unpack it based on your experience, is that if you truly want to see yourself through a challenging time, it's really not about breaking things down into like, okay, I've got to do this. Like the behavior, the behavior first mentality, I think often falls short if it's not rooted in a greater identity. So to me, it feels like most transformation, quote unquote, that actually takes place the shift as you talk about, to me, it seems like it occurs from, from an actual identification shift, like someone literally seeing themselves in a different way and then stretching into that 
whatever mm. muscles it takes to build to, to move into that identity. And I know yeah. you are one of the greatest kind of penultimate examples of that. But for the benefit of those listening who may be going through a challenge, which I would say is probably most of the people listening right yeah. now, and one that actually shakes the core of their identity because many of us grow up in a society where our work is our identity, you know, and, yeah. uh, and how much money we make, how much money we have in the bank, which now, uh, you know, for most is, is profoundly uh, mm-hmm. affected, um, you know, are, are, are having kind of the tenets of their identity shaken. So, so what insights uh, can you share for people based on, on some of the shifts that you've been able to make and, and kind of rooting that in a new sense of identity? Yeah, yeah. This, this, as you're talking, I heard like four layers of what I want to cover. Okay, no, I'm not let, go let's go, man. Preach. We got time. Hey, we can go into it. So first off, you did talk about the aspect of people, um, like their identity is the, you know, it's the, the job, it's the money. What it is, is, unfortunately, for a lot of people, they don't grasp that, like there's a tree producing fruit. And the fruit is our career, our relationships, our health, everything, right? And what happens is the fruit falls off the tree and the fruit withers and dies. And unfortunately, people think that they're the fruit and they're withering and dying. And they, and, and everything that they are is gone. When the reality is, is you're the tree tree produced the fruit, which means the tree can produce more fruit. If you give nutrients to the tree. And if the, if that thing fell away, you can produce a bigger fruit possibly or a different, like there's, there's things you can do. And so too many people are thinking that they are the fruit. I love how you talked about the stretch because what ends up happening is, so now that you have this, uh, this kind of identity, what it is, is there's a gap. And the gap that you're talking about is a gap between who I am and what I have and, and the things that are part of my current life and, my, and, and just who I am. And it's part of my identity. And there's a gap I call an identity gap between you and the person who has all the things you want. Because if you were that person, you already have those things. If you're the one that read those books or took those courses, had that consistent habit, you already have all the things this person does. But you have a gap. And the problem is this gap is it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you hit rock bottom. People fall apart. And really what, what the situation is, is where, where I look at it is I love what you said. You said stretch. And, and the stretch is the key part, but you can't have the stretch without having an, an, like you said, identity I'm going to. And that's where you actually architect the identity before you activate the identity. And so what I do is like I, I step back and say, okay, great. You can go through and start doing some work and all of this. But if you haven't architected what it is that you want to be, what these actions will lead to you owning as that's part of who you are, You'll start doing things haphazardly because Tom, Dick, Susan, and Joe said you should. But then you're doing it and you're like, ah, I don't care to do it. And in those moments, because it's not who you are, you don't fight. You don't get it done. You go back to square one. Your gap stays wide open. The reality is, is you got to get to that point where you have said, okay, this is the person I want to be. Here are the actions this person has uh, in their life consistently. Here are the thoughts that they carry. Here are the beliefs they carry. Here are the habits they have. Here's the mindset they have. And the sixth one, here's the chip on the shoulder that they carry. It is, it's a, it's like I have a Mount Everest size chip for who I am, but it's because <laughs> I show up and I have these consistent things, right? But it's all a woven together aspect of what's called my ideal identity. I architected it. I know who I am and I'm always re-architecting the next one. But then we get to the stretch portion and here's where the magic happens. For a lot of people, you think about physically. Like if I go and I want to go run a, a, a marathon, right? What do I do? I stretch. Now in the stretching, like it's, it's, it's painful. Like I got to lean and uh, I got to do this and a muscle hurts. And, and like, I just lean, but some people they feel it and they go, Oh no, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Then they go for a run. They pull a muscle. They're out of the sideline for about a month, right? They got to figure out how to get back to healthy. The same thing happens for life, right? Cause that stretch creates a longer, stronger, more endurance based like muscle life. The stretch comes from the actions you have to take that just don't feel like they're you. 
the imposter syndrome, the difficult you know aspect of getting up early in the morning and changing a habit there, having to eat healthy, catching the workout, making those cold calls you don't want to make, having a hard conversation with your staff or your spouse. And those are the things that stretch you. But a lot of people, they say, I don't want to do that. And they get into life. And because they're not prepared with that stretch, they didn't lean into it. They pull a muscle, which is their life falling apart. And I step back and I'm out for a month trying to figure out what do I do with myself. And so when I have architected and, and created that identity of what I want to go to, my job is going to say, what are those moments that are going to stretch you? And then when you hit those as a coach, like how do I make you lean into them and hold it for a 10 count, not get out at two count. And when you can learn to do that and you feel and you're aware of in the moments, you'll find that when you've stretched yourself to handle those things, when the opportunity comes up and you can go faster, you're prepared for it. Mm. So let me, let me break that down because what came up to for me, for example, is as you were talking I was thinking, you know, sometimes like I'll watch, I'll just use an example I think most people can can relate to. So like I'll watch The Rock's Instagram, right? You know, and, mm-hmm. and guys just crushed a workout. I mean, he's drenched in sweat. You know, he's the same height as I am, 6'4", but he's 277 pounds, so 77 more pounds of muscle. And yeah. I'm like, man, you know, I got to start getting up at 4 a.m. and knocking out these workouts like The Rock, you know. <laughs> but a couple, a couple mornings come by and you don't hit that 4 a.m. And, and it's like if you don't make that, if you don't keep that promise to yourself, it's kind of like what you're talking about. It's like almost like it's maybe not an acute injury where I'm sidelined for a month, but I feel like there's, there's like the integrity of making commitments to yourself and, and starting mm-hmm. by making small, at least from my point of view, small commitments, right? So like, uh, say, I, and I don't know if you have a, a thought around this, but like segmenting, right? So like, around this. Uh, there's a Navy SEAL and he talked about, he, he talked about actually, uh, Eric Wrightens is his name. He talked about actually uh, the budge training, right? Which is theoretically, yeah. as I understand it, the hardest physical training Navy on the planet or, or, or of the hardest. And he said, what's interesting is that most Navy SEALs don't quit during the most arduous physical challenges. So it's not when they're getting slapped by freezing cold water after carrying a log of like 500 pounds above their head. It's actually, he said, at sunset, when after a day of work, you're looking out and the sun is setting and the instructors say, that was just day one. You got six <laughs> more days. And it was, it's that projection into the future and the yeah. suffering that lives in your mind as a mindset yeah. in the projection of that. And he said, those, those, that's actually when the, the greatest number of people quit because mm-hmm. they couldn't live into the identity. They couldn't live into the, the construct of what that would look like. They just saw the suffering of it, right? Whereas the people yeah. that thrive and survive were the ones that broke it down into, I'm only focusing on the next 10 minutes. Like, I'm going yeah. to crush the next 10 minutes. And so just, yeah. I haven't just perfected this in my own life, but I know when I start to get overwhelmed in that identity, like I know what identity I want to live into, but I, where I fail oftentimes is like, right, I got to be 277 The Rock 4 a.m., you know, where <laughs> it's like yeah. that, you, know you, you don't get there tomorrow, you know what I mean? No, you, so, you don't. And it's, a part of, uh, it's actually a part of your brain that will tell you why you don't. So, so part of it is I can't project myself there, but also, like you said, this sacrifice that goes along with what that takes to go to that next tier. And a lot of people don't see themselves there. There's a study done by UCLA, um, and like they did some neuroscience studies, and they asked people, hey, who are you? Like, How much do you care about yourself? And a part of their brain lit up that was like, this is who I am. And then they said, okay, t- they talk about someone you love, a loved one. You have this like loved one part of your brain. And they give you a picture of someone you don't know or something else, and like stranger lights up. So if you ask, like, who am I willing to, to like, take a bullet for or go through that budge training for? person that I know I am, loved one. What's, what's crazy, if they ask you to talk about or think about your future self, 
stranger lights up. Interesting, right? So what happens is if I don't see myself in that future in some way, if I haven't created and done the work to see myself there, I'm not going to sacrifice for somebody I don't know. Stranger lights up. So for a lot of us, we're going through life and we don't see ourselves there genuinely. There's no emotional attachment. There's no like physical, like I didn't write it down. I didn't paint a picture of it. So it's like, I don't see that. How am I going to go to work? Why am I going to not eat this donut right now? I don't know about that guy with six pack abs, you know, like I'm going to eat this donut now. And we live like that and don't even know we're doing it most of the time. Wow. So what do you see? How do you shift that part of the brain that sees this as stranger? How does how does this move over here? Like how do you, how does this how does this side where it's like stranger I don't see it move into like that part of your brain where it's like you know this is another extreme example like maybe Viktor Frankl right like where like deep search for meaning I can persist through you know almost any circumstance because this is who I am. Yeah, I mean, it's some of the same things of like the why, right? Like I know why I'm doing this. You can still see why I'm doing it, but a lot of it. You can actually write out, like that's what people do, like future pacing, deathbed statement, life statement, mission statement. What have you accomplished? Because now you're forced to see it. I actually like that app where you can age yourself. You seen that one where you can age yourself? Everybody did for like a good like, two <laughs> yeah, days to disappear. Totally. Print that bad boy up. Put it on your, on your piece of paper. Like this is why I'm saving money this month. You know, this person right here is who I'm, I'm doing these things for. That's one part of it. But honestly, that's why I said to architect. Because whenever you architect, you like think about what architects do. They, they get this, this idea in their head or they hear information and they create something from scratch on paper that someone then goes later on and builds. But the person can't build it if they can't see it. So the architect has to go in and say, what kind of beliefs do I want to have? Because there's really like a Venn diagram, beliefs, thoughts, actions, where beliefs and thoughts overlap, you end up having your mindset. If I have strong beliefs and weak thoughts, I have weak mindset, right? Then where my thoughts and my actions overlap is my habits. If I think I should do it and I don't do it, my habits suck, right? And then you have, when you talked about that character and pride, if I believe I'm supposed to do something and I don't do it, I lose the chip in my shoulder. I didn't get up at 4 a.m. The chip gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I don't fight for someone I don't know or love. If I feel worse about this person here, why am I going to show up for that person at 4 in the morning, right? So what happens is when you look at that conceptual aspect of it, I can architect, like, what kind of beliefs does this person have? What kind of thoughts are they running all day in affirmations? What kind of minds are they showing up with? What kind of habits do they have? And if I do that, what kind of character and chip do they get that I can build over time? And then the more I can architect that thing and then build it, the more I show up as like, you know what? This Anthony today isn't letting Anthony from yesterday down because he did this work. This is who he is. So also this Anthony here is going to show up because I know who I am. I'm going to keep pushing to the future. So I'm always in this consistent bubble with a lot of people like, look, you did all this. So you can't let that stuff be for nothing. And on top of that, we've already architected who you're supposed to be, who you're going towards. And so there's actually a process that we go through is we design the identity, develop a plan around it, and then deploy it. And the deploy part's big because it helps us do what you're talking about. When I've deployed, like if a military guy, I deploy, I go out to battle, I come back, and what do I do? As soon as I come back from battle. Debrief. Uh, yeah. Debrief. Yeah, like, okay, hey, exactly. How did it go? Most people come back from life, they get their teeth kicked in, they go, oh, I don't want to do that again, they run away. But the thing is, is right in that moment when you have all the information fresh of what went wrong. So like, okay, come back, debrief what just took place. Let's redesign the actions that need to be done possibly. Redevelop a plan, redeploy, let's keep this ball going. And the more you keep doing it, it's like you keep going back out of the plan and seeing why you did it, what the reason is. And here's the thing, we're talking about this process. Before you know it, you've consistently been creating. And now because you created like this is now who you, you come out the back and you're like, hey, I don't know when. 
but I became a badass somewhere. Like I'm done. <laughs> like that's that's the process that goes through it all. And once you've once you've understood the stages and how to do that and how what the actions are that are unique to you, we always talk about like the, the hero's journey. But I love the Russell Brunson talks about the hero's two journeys. There's always the achievement and transformation. Unfortunately, for some people, they think you have to do a transformation only before you can actually get the achievements. And I believe there's a definite duality to how this works. But I like the idea of like, in order for me to transform, actions have to be done. Like actions would end suffering. Doing something ends this pain, this, this place I'm at. I can create more, do more. And so what happens is why not make those actions that are ones that would actually turn into an achievement? So why can I simultaneously be taking an action that would achieve something later on? And then when I get there, I've also a transformed at the same time. And so like, I'm always building those kind of things into how I have people create stuff. Whether it's a good mom, good dad, good husband, good business owner, whatever it might be. But if you structure those things like the right way, dude, amazing things happen. And then you've actually created this identity that now you protect with your action because that's really the end goal. The end goal is to realize that what we're trying to do is create an identity that's so strong that it has like this ego armor, like a like a genuine armor around you to where what happens is if somebody throws a spear of negativity or like, you know, something to degrade you at you, it bounces off the armor because at the end of the day, like this is who I am. And not only does it like bounce off, but I show up for that person and battle to keep that identity in check. So like for me, I had a horrible big ego from the NFL when I got done. A lot of guys do. Let's be honest. A lot of guys do, but people think it's all bad when the reality is, well, my ego forced me to catch workouts, to build my body, to stay healthy, to do treatment, to eat, to, to read my playbook. That ego was the same one doing the actions to keep me great as it was at times keep me from great. But everybody has an ego and it's not always bad. No, I actually find that quite refreshing to think about. And it's interesting. I was actually just talking to Tony Gonzalez, another NFL player, about this notion of the second mountain, right? Because I I think, and this goes kind of at the core theme, like many of us in our identities go through, you know, some of us have parts of our identity, as you exemplified sort of in, the, in, in your childhood that are quite, that, that can be associated, if you will, with trauma, right? That are almost like, I want to put that in the closet and not think of it. Um, oftentimes that doesn't fix it, but you, you fortunately have a very healthy relationship to it. Other people, there's aspects of our identity where we're like, oh, man, I crush it, right? Like an NF, a successful NFL career. You're like, oh, man, that's, I'm, on, I'm on the top of the mountain. But there's equal challenges also in recreating a new identity from both a place of challenge and after a huge success, right? It's like how many people have successful sophomore albums? How many rock stars? Not that many, right? Because it's like you put out the first album and it crushes and you're like you're scared to make the second one, right? Because like, you're yeah. like, what if it fails? Like you get... You get addicted. But as a friend of mine once said, it's like you're only as good as, as your last most recent kind of success. And if you don't keep creating, last game. if you don't keep creating, then all of a sudden you're like you're kind of a has been. So so I, I wanted to tap into that notion of the second mountain, if you will. Right. Yeah. More of a, more of a metaphor. But, you know, you move from uh, NFL, which in at least in the in the in the United States around the religion of football, which is seen almost as a religion, yeah. uh, is yeah. is a, is a heck of an identity, right? Especially mm-hmm. given where you came from, you could almost say like you went from a, one of the lower lows, like Dead Sea low, to to Everest high uh, in terms of yeah. like identity uh, metaphors. And then you were forced to, to kind of recreate yourself anew again. What did you use? What, what mindsets, egos, trainings uh, that, that did you find were integral to you recreating yourself after the NFL? 
Um, to be honest, man, I broke my life when I first got out. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was smooth. Good. Yeah, it was great. Where'd it go? But smooth. Like, to be honest, man, I came home, and not only have I now lost the identity of a football player, uh, I've, I've I come home, I have two more kids. And so at this time, I got my wife. Uh, I'm at the gym, so I built the gym also. So like, I got to find a way to get my identity back. I got to be that guy again. So I built this gym, and I didn't know what I was doing, man. Like, I had no gym membership before this. I didn't have a business plan. I just put some money into it. Nine months in, I'm looking at bankruptcy. Like, I'm looking at being evicted. I couldn't pay the bills because I had this ego of, like, I know what I'm doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything I was doing, man. <laughs> and so neglecting my wife, neglecting my health, neglecting my kids, the business was falling apart. Football was gone. Everything that made Anthony Anthony was, was done. And then my wife has an affair, man. She runs off with some dude damn near and broke me literally broke me and I sat in this fog and a lot of people sit in these fogs, man. If you ever had this hardship happen, you get to this point where you're like, dude, I don't know what to do. Like you just seriously. And, and I look at us uh, as human beings more like computers than anything else. Like the identity work I do is a perfect metaphor for a sense of like we're computers. And a lot of us have this hardware every day we get up with, but then the software is from like, you know, windows 98. Like it's so old. We're operating from you know childhood trauma that we haven't addressed or unpacked. We're operating from weird situations that happen in relationships, perspective we told ourselves because we failed at something that anchored us to say this is who I am. And we're running these poor programs. And what happens is, like a computer, like you'll have this thing pop up that says, "Hey, you want to update?" And we say, "No, I ain't got time for that." Whatever, snooze it, right? And then you know, 24 hours goes by. You want to update? No, 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 I don't want it. And then eventually, the computer starts bogging down. The, the programs stop working. Eventually, you start getting those spinning wheel of desks. You got to open in safe mode without some of the programs. And it's like, dude, I got I to gotta update this computer. And you got to go through the pain of, okay, hit update, sit back and wait. It takes forever to do it. And then eventually, the computer comes back updated and now it runs smooth. Now, us as, as computers, this is kind of what I did in life, is you get to this point where it's like, well, the updates are someone telling you like, hey, you're not being the best husband, not being the best father. Your business isn't working very well. You got to figure out how to take care of your health. Like, what, what's going on? You keep, ah, I got this. And then eventually the programs, your relationships, your health, your career, finances, your education, your sense of self, the programs, they start slowing down, man. Then you get that spinning wheel of death. You try to open in safe mode, right? Safe mode is like cut the programs out, cut myself off, silo in, drink some beer, smoke some weed, hang with some chicks, right? That's how much of a safe mode it. But then the, some of the programs don't work. You start alienating yourself. It's not until you move yourself back and say, you know what? I'm going to take the time to let this update. That for me was... Like I almost took my life, man. I drove off one night, like I'm done with this. And, uh, and I came back and it was a, a duality of like me snapping out of that place, getting to a point where I, I found some purpose for the craziness of my life, which like, you know, I've had these things happen. Other people have seen me thrive through them somehow and seen me, but it was accidental. I could do it proactively. My mom passed away in 2014 and it gave me this push to be like, you know what? I want to unconditionally love on, on the world the way my adoptive mom did me. Because like I, she didn't have any reason to be great to me, but she did, and it changed my life. So what if I could do it for other people in the areas that I've overcome? So I did that, and it pushed me into a place where like I cut everything off, man. I cut women off. I cut partying. I cut all this stuff off. I pulled myself away to do updates. Read books. I stared at walls. There's a brown wall in my townhouse. I used to sit on my couch on my back and just stare at this wall and ask myself some of the deepest questions like, bro, what? how'd your marriage fall apart, man? Like, how, how come you fell out of shape? What does an NFL fall player get a gut for? Like, dude, how, how come business has never been able to, to, you know, get to the point of like not freaking out every two weeks of how I'm going to pay rent in April? Like, how did you get here? And the more answers I got, the more updates I made, the more information I figured out. I was having conversations with people, fixing relationships. I went and talked to the guy 
and, and kind of, you know, figure out the conversation of like the guy that had an affair with my wife. I, to this point where now today I could nod my head at him and like, not so much, I wouldn't call it respect, but like, it's, we navigated that, you know, like, so I did a lot of these updates and it allowed me to get to a point where now my computer runs smooth and when updates come in, cause my wife has them for me all the time, as do my kids, <laughs> you know, when the updates come in, I'm able to step back and say, okay, I got to focus on that. I don't want that to start messing up programs of my life up again. Let me figure this out. And so that's where I've, I consist in updating my identity, which is the same thing other people have to do, but in their own specific ways. Yeah. Well, you, I think it's almost a perfect uh, analogy for the times we're in, right? Like, I, it's interesting. I was reflecting yesterday, and I, I haven't gone through a, a marriage in that, but I, I had had a, a partner who I moved across the country to be with who wound up um, uh, cheating on me. And, and so I, I, I really relate to what you were sharing, and I went into a hole. I went into a, a black hole. I was... You know, if you looked at my recycling bin of beers at the time, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was, I went into like that, you know, whatever you were calling that silo, I, I, I've been there. And, um, yeah. and actually, fortunately, my father um, showed up for me. And that's actually when I started doing some really deep transformational men's work. And, uh, you know, it, 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 frankly, I did a lot of the hard work, a lot of the confrontation, a lot of those pieces. And it saw a sea change in my life. And sometimes when, I, when things get challenging, like right now, and, and we're, we're kind of forced with questions around like, okay, I don't know what the future holds. You know, I just had a big, you know, big contract that like just pulled south because we're, we're in this kind of epidemic. I know a lot of people out there listening are in a similar cir- circumstance. There's the challenge of it, but there's also this opportunity, right? We're all in a forced reboot, you know? And I, one of the things mm-hmm. I was thinking about yesterday, I was actually talking to our mutual friend Craig, and I was like, you know, if this thing ended tomorrow, I'd be so grateful, obviously, for the lives, for people having their livelihoods back. But there was a piece of me that was actually like, I actually got more work to be done. Like, and he said the same thing. He was like, you know, because it's <laughs> like my wife it last all, night. Those, all those distractions, you know, like I'm, yeah. I, I, I got no excuse right now on the book. I've been, I've been wanting to write a book for years. I have no excuse. There, there's no social engagement to go to. There's no, there's no, there's no, there is no, it's like looking straight in the mirror. And I think for many of us, that is the case, right? Like, no, no, not to belittle in any way the challenges. And, and I have uh, my, you know, my folks fortunately are still alive, but they're in the highest risk category. So I haven't even been in six feet of another human for almost two weeks now, which I don't know how that's going to look, you know, months from now. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, but needless to say, I think there is gold in, in this, in this time in terms of that, in in terms of that operational update, as you, as you, as you so articulately put it for those listening, what are some of the ways, because obviously you went from that place where you did that update. It sounds like you got really in touch with your integrity and a new sense of identity or tap back into yeah. the old identity that it made you successful and kind of retooled. These parts of it. Um, but like, let, let's use an example for right now. And just because this is literally what I was just reading about. And I think probably what a lot of people are thinking about. And there's diff- different areas you could, you, we could definitely um, interrogate and delve into. But just from an actional point of view, in terms of applying this principle, for those who are looking at, and, I, and it was interesting last night on Instagram, uh, I saw Mel Robbins talking about, here are the five things to do right now around your finances, right? Like, get real with yourself, like, go in there, highlight all the stuff, like, you don't need to be paying for yeah, Xbox, you don't, need, you don't need the extra Netflix, you know, like, and, yeah. and uh, you know, and I think a lot of people right now are struggling or, or had fears, for example, obviously there's a health challenge, but around yeah. the finance piece. 
if you mm-hmm. if you were to give advice based on this this and I'm not saying you're a financial planner or anything like but if you were to give advice based on this mindset of like the identity people and the mindset people can have as they look at yeah. let's call it a new landscape you know like mm-hmm. the way you've been doing things may not work moving forward so mm-hmm. how would you kind of what what kind of helpful frames or frameworks if you will could you give for someone who may be out there listening and it has fear around their uncertain financial future? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. The financial thing is one that becomes such a huge issue for people and it's real for some and not as real for others. Right. And it's only a matter of, of how you choose to see it. But I think one of the things that that is basic and simplistic is we do do a lot of frivolous spending with this perception of, I'll make it back at some point in time. I'll figure it out. And you, you can't, you can't do that because at the end of the day, that, that's the thing that you can see now put some people in some precarious positions. So I think one of the things is, is one, I'm not one to, uh, to say tighten up your money and don't invest because a whole, it's going to be an open conversation. I think it really matters like how much money do you have? What's your lifestyle like? Because I can give, you can have someone has a million dollars that lives in California. It's different than a million dollars that lives in the Philippines. Wait, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like, it's, it's, it's totally. vast. And so what one thing I would look at is, Taking a, a good picture of, of like currently, how much money do you really need to live the life you want to live? Because what's what's different now is like you don't need money right now to be flashy. I don't need to buy Jordans. I can't go outside. I don't need rims on my car because no one's going to see it. Nobody. <laughs> I mean, like real talk. There's, there's there's legit things you don't need. So if you realize that, like I got to a point where like I don't care to have anything extra on my car because I don't even get to see it when I'm driving. I'm in the car. Like I don't. Why am I going to put rims? And this is my perspective. I don't need Gucci belts and shoes, man. I wear the same chucks and the same random. Like I buy shoes off of Groupon right now for like thirty bucks because they look cool with no logos and are comfy. I'm not even kidding, bro. It's hot shop, and I and I can afford all of it. And the thing is, is I I do that because I want to live in a life where I am focused on the things that that actually give me joy. There's a very short-lived joy in a material item for me. The joy I have is messages, conversations, communication, and I can't work on my skill sets to write that book or to read whatever it is if I'm focused and I got to make money, got to make money. Like because of the, the way that I've built my business and I live my life right now, I'm comfortable. Like my family is okay. We're not in any way stressing off money, which has allowed me to show up like this and serve you. If, if you had reached out and said, can we do this? I'd be like, no, I got to be sales calls and I got to market. I got like, I'd be in a whole different direction. I couldn't help people with the words I'm saying right now. And so because of that, I think prospectively, we should all step back and say, wow, how much do I really need to live and be happy for me without the view of the world looking at me? And with that, like, what can I then reinvest my money in later on that'll actually benefit me or not invest it at all? It's okay to have money in your bank, people. Like, it's okay to have it sit there that those shoes look nice and that, that's a good meal. But like, go home and cook, like be healthier. You know, like you don't, you don't need all the extra. The world tells us we do. A long time ago, I got out of the realm of like caring. I think the sweats I have on have a hole in the crotch right now, dude. Like I don't I'm telling you, I'm just I'm just chilling. Keeping it real, care. baby. Yeah, so it's I interesting. Someone says, share. I think it was uh, actually it was uh, Gary Vaynerchuk was talking about. It. He was like, you know, there's gonna be dudes going from like BMWs and they got and eating humble pie and got to go to the Honda. And it's like, I, oh, I actually yeah, think good. I think there's a real gift in moving away because I, I so uh, I'm actually. Uh, interviewing later this week a gentleman by the name of bj miller who's a palliative care doctor and he's helped somewhere near over a thousand people uh transition and face their death and what's interesting is and and it goes to that point which you made earlier about the photograph right where it's like i love that app because you actually look and it shows you your impermanence and this coin that i that i hold in my hand which i keep literally next to me every day was one again to sort of bring a full circle that ryan uh holiday gave me and it's memento mori 
So it's not the picture, but it's basically basically it's it's a skull, and it's it's the stoic creed of of keep death on, on your doorstep, right? Like in terms of like thinking about the impermanence of life, and I think one of the identity pieces that I love to use, and you sort of reference reference this a bit earlier, is is how in a in a eulogy, right? Like if I were thinking back and I was like, okay, that was my life well lived. Not that obviously yeah. finance and resources aren't important, uh, you know, and, and, and right now I think a lot of people have been kind of f- forced down the pyramid of, of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So it's, a re- it's real yeah. talk. Uh, however, I, I do think there is a, a reset to what you're saying, like an update where it's like, you know, most people in articulating the five greatest regrets of the dying, very, very few of those are are around anything related to material wealth. In fact, most of it is like no, no one's like, man, I'm glad I got that Lambo in the driveway, or like you know, yeah. or like you know, all, almost all of that is. I wish I dollars shoes exactly. I wish I'd lived the life that I was capable of, not the life that other people told me I needed to live, and, and that I that I was. Um, you know that I was kind of unrelenting in 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 choosing the life of my dreams, Sweet. which many people yeah. which many people don't. Um, yeah. So so in the spirit of identity and and this this moment, which I think if we choose to see it as beautiful, which I'm choosing to see it as beautiful, I just as am I. I just I just did a post around like I'm in a forest artist artist residency right now. You know, it's like I'm on I'm on, I'm on retreat. So you know, it, it's kind of your frame, but. In that time, you know, I came, I'm like, okay, my thing I'm focusing on now is the book and this podcast. I want to connect with the most like inspiring it. minds I can. Doesn't cost me anything. I mean, the irony is I literally did spend thousands and thousands of dollars on gear, and I'm now literally using Skype and, and a headphone. So the, the joke's on me. But, but it's still beautiful because yeah. I can still connect to folks like you and, and, yeah. and, and also connect to myself right through the book yeah. what do you, what are you doing as you approach this and and for you maybe you, you know business as usual but i know you know you're a speaker you're a very in-demand speaker uh you know i obviously big events aren't happening how are you choosing to reposition and reframe given where we're at right now you know what's interesting is uh it's, i don't even know if it would be a reframe i'm just going deeper in the same uh the same trench i've been digging for a while right if you think about how we do things like we do buy like the, the headphones and the laptop all this craziness. There's always these levels of what I buy it. I feel better to feel better. It's going to help me do my thing better. And I always look at us like as human beings, like tripods, uh, like a camera, like as an actual tripod, a C at the top's a camera, right? But in the tripod of life, the C is what you'll create in your life, the income, the career, the money, the impact, all that stuff. But the legs are different, right? It's the tools and techniques, which we're talking about. It's the tools, the camera, the Skype, the, all these different things. The technique is going to be the strategy behind it, right? I buy this course, this program, this book. But what I always look at is like, I like to be the dialed in technician because the technician is the third piece. It's the one using the tools and techniques. And what I look at is like, I'm tucked away and I don't even know what to work on, but my gut tells me work on the things you've been trying to work on that haven't found time. So like copywriting, um, working on some design stuff, language stuff. I have been reading, taking speed reading course. Like I'm taking all these things in the background. Because I realize as we come out of this, which we will come out of this, I want to be the guy that's, that's got the technician so dialed in that even without those exact same tools that that person has, they could have spent more money and more time and whatever it is, as a technician, I'll thrive more than you will. Because if you think about it, the tools and techniques were designed by a technician. I went and learned this thing. I created this software platform program that you get to use, like Russell has ClickFunnels, right? I had this new strategy I use for how I, I you know, market my business. Here's my seven steps or whatever. 
And that's all good and well. But somebody went out, blazed a trail, figured out, came back, said, here, do this. And everybody else is trying to buy that thing without working on a technician. It's like they got this brand new, you know, hammer tool thing with a great manual, but they're newborn babies using it. And so for me, it's like I am always in right now and always forever. Look, I want to work on the technician. I want to dial this guy into where you can give me half of what those people have, but I'll double what they've done. I love that. The technician. Uh, I think that's so valuable because it, 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 remi- it, it reminds me a little bit of almost like a David Goggins mentality where I just feel like I like him. Uh, uh, I like him. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I don't know if anyone's read that book, Can't Hurt Me, but it was one of my favorites of, of, 20, of last year. But I, I love where he was like he was. And again, it goes to that piece of identity for him. He was you know, he was a Navy SEAL, so he was running for his brothers and he had to yeah. like run a hundred mile race. So there's so many great lessons in that book. But uh, to run that race, he, they, he found out he had to run 100 miles in two days, and he had never run a 100-mile race. And literally, like, he bought a pack of Ritz crackers and duct tape and ran the 100 miles, broke both of his legs, taped them up, and kept running. And to me, it was like, no technology. You know, he's not on, like, Peloton bikes. He's not – nothing. He was just like, I'm, I'm on the technician side. So, so I love that. What, what are um, – Anthony, what are, for those listening, what are some of the, because I, I know you, you have a, a deep amount of work that you've actually pioneered, your own sort of unique IP as it relates to yeah. a lot of what you've referenced. What are some of the greater insights, uh, and obviously people, I, I highly recommend that people delve deeply into your work, but for those listening right now, what are some of the great insights, given the fact that people do have time, and they do have time to work on the technician, which is themselves? And yeah. many of them are, as we articulated earlier, going through uh, an identity shift. And a lot of what yeah. you, I think, teach people is how to turn, I, ca- I call it shit into compost, but, uh, you know, for new <laughs> gardens. But, but, but you use the word shift. And people are kind of yeah. like planting these new gardens or shifting. What are some of the greatest yeah. tools that you can give them in terms of whether it be mindset or actual tactical tools that they can use to, to, to refine the technician during these times? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'll, uh, I'll say this is there. I'm going to give you a tool, like more of a perspective, a tool that will help you get the tools that are already hidden in your past. Most people don't realize they're floating around back there. And here's the thing. Most people have failures they're being faced with right now. I didn't read that book. I didn't prepare this. I didn't save enough money. You know, I didn't, I didn't get enough food or whatever. I didn't do enough X, Y, or Z, and it's a failure to them. And what happens for a lot of people is they see it as black and white, and I lose that chip in my shoulder because I failed to see certain things hidden in plain sight. So what I look at is failure for a lot of people. They think it's one thing, like I did well or I'm horrible. And we're going to six different levels of it. And the top is abject, which is the end of the world. Nothing can be fixed. And we put too many things up there. Like we, we say, like I, my relationship fell apart. I'm unlovable. I lost my job. I'm never going to get employed again. Like and it, the emotion just skyrocket. And the problem is when I put it that high, I learn nothing from it. There's no reason to. It's over, right? Below it, you have structural, which is something heavy broke, right? A big piece broke, but it didn't all break, right? That's like my, my marriage when my wife had an affair. Big piece of it broke. It actually did break. We put it back together three years later. Phenomenal marriage now, right? Structural failure. Been glorious. All right, smoke a stogie. It's going down. I don't care about it. In all three of those, we typically don't learn anything. We just like, ah, it's whatever. And it's because we put too many things there. We don't learn from things in our past that are already having phenomenal tools. We call it silver linings. The bottom three are big. The top of the bottom three is common failure, a mistake that just happens. I'm sorry. I messed up. I didn't mean to do that. Whatever it might be. This happens in relationships, happens in career, happens in health. You know what? I ate that burrito. It was good. I messed up. You're okay, Aunt. Not like, oh, I hate you. This burrito's delicious. I hate myself. Like that. You know what I mean? Like it's weird. Then below that, you have what's called aversion failure. This version broke. 
but you can learn something from it to make a better version, right? It's like how iPhone 11 exists now because only because iPhone 1 existed. They put it out. They didn't put it out and say, this phone has, doesn't have a good enough camera. Scrap the project. Like, no. What did I learn to make version 2, 3, 4, right? And so like a relationship, this relationship in my college years fell apart. This relationship in my 20s and 30s fell apart. It doesn't mean you're unlovable. That version of you didn't work out. What were they telling you every day that wasn't working? What were they saying to you? What updates were being told to you you didn't work on? Find those, adjust the version. And then the bottom one is predictable or predicted. Like you go into things knowing they're going to go wrong. Like when I was an athlete, I went to practice every day knowing I'm going to get yelled at. That's what it was. I predicted that failure. It's okay. I got used to it, right? For me in life, a lot of what I do is like I predict I'm going to fail because I don't know what to do with this. Perfectionists, they hate this because like, well, I got to be perfect. They never put it out. And the reality is I know everything I put out is not perfect because just my brain helps create it, but it's not for me typically. I need to put it out, have people tell me where the holes are at, then I can make it better and put it back out and then make my versions. So for people at home right now who are seeing everything in their life through a filter of it's abject or structural or glorious, horrible, take everything, go home and unpack. Like, what are some things, you know, failures that are programming me to be this person right now? Why do I think I don't have uh, confidence? Why do I think nobody likes me? Why do I think nobody watches my posts? Why do I think nobody wants to read a book I want to write? Why does, why do I think I'm broke? Like write those down and then start pulling things that give you aspirations and perspectives to why that is. Start pulling out lessons if you were to put in the box of version. And the way you fix version is like, all right, what would the next version of me do? Without worrying about what somebody thinks of me, my pride being swallowed, what would that thing be? And if you can be the person that can push your pride to the side, can actually swallow like a little bit of your ego and step into new space and do something by giving yourself permission to be better, you'll start finding as you come out of this, you'll get to play in that space that the successful people will. Because everybody's going to be met with themselves right now. We're all being met with the mirror of who you really are, how you really prepared. You can't hide behind it. You look at yourself in the mirror every day. I know what body I have, right? You look at your, your bank account. Okay, I know how I prepared for this. I look at my skill sets. Like, I can't even get on and do videos right now. And you're being met with that. You can bottle up, tell yourself you're never going to make it, or take a look and say, all right, hard work. Who do I have to be? Am I staring at the brown wall? Hey, who do I got to be? And then start climbing out of that space. I love that, man. Segmenting. It's like iterations. Like uh, I like that iPhone metaphor. Like what's the next, what's the next iteration? Um, yeah. And it go, I think it goes to that piece of, of, of chalking up the wins. You know, there's a, I don't know if you ever saw this. There's a film about a guy in South America, true story documentary. I think it's called touching the void if I'm not mistaken, but he literally gets I left, for, gets left for dead uh, in a crevasse in like the most remote, most remote mountains of Patagonia. And uh, left, literally left for dead, you know, his femur sticking through his leg. And, of course, right. thinking about how am I going to get down would be so overwhelming. I think 99.9% of .9 people would have quit. But he just, again, not 10 minutes. He literally, he was like, I got 10, I'm only focusing on the 10 feet in front of me. And, you know, people got to go see the movie. But basically it worked out well for him. And I think, to me, it's like, okay, what are the, what is that next iteration? And I think that assessment yeah. you were talking about of, like, of really looking at, I think, from an objective point of view, what are your thoughts around accountability partners? Because sometimes I think we have blind Huge. spots, you know, like, because because I like I, and I, I, in the sports metaphor, I mean, you had a coach, right? Like yeah. a, a lot of us are our own worst enemies. And that voice that's beating us up isn't the coach, it's actually ourselves. But um, <laughs> but I think there is a benefit in having teammates and a coach in terms of 
uh, sometimes in the not most enlightened way, but they point out your weak spots, right? So yeah. um, how do you relate to, as, as one is iterating to the next level of themselves, a.k.a. their iPhone upgrade, um, their yeah. new operating system or their refinement of their operating system, what are, the, what are the things that they can do to support that process as it relates to maybe it's other people, accountability partners? Because I think it's one thing to know the steps. It's another thing to obviously take that 10-foot step and actually implement it and continue to do it. And I feel like a lot of people get derailed. And, and, and I think you almost have to integrate, like you said, I got used to getting yelled at in practice. You almost have to incorporate the derailment into the process, right? Like the two steps forward, one step back, but I'm still making progress. Ideally, it's more, you take it more steps forward than one back. But how do you look at that frame in terms of like things that can support you in that iOS upgrade? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to have, like, I, I look at, like you said, coach. I like the idea of the coach um, because when I look at me as an athlete, right, when I'm on the field, I can see what's right in front of me. I can work on this. Whereas my coach on the sideline, he's the person who sees the whole field when I can't see the whole field. And so this is one thing I look at. There's a, like, for us programming operators, I actually like this circle we all go through consistently in our minds. And it's you have this identity of who you are that leads to your beliefs. Your beliefs lead to your thoughts. Your thoughts fuel your emotions. The emotions turn into actions. The actions create the outcomes. The outcomes we have create our environment internally and externally that make us see who we are to ourselves. Bad body, good body, more money, less money, bad house, good house, whatever it is, right? I love myself. I hate myself. And that wheel spins for a lot of people in mud going nowhere. When the reality is we want to get it spinning uphill. And what happens, we talk about the actions we have to take. My coach can see everything and tell me what actions to take. When I have a coach, you've you got to have someone that says, hey, come to the sideline real quick. you got to do this. Go back out and do that. And then here's what happens. A lot of people go, oh, but that's not me. So it's wheel. They go in and they just kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't know if it's me. I don't know if I can do that. And so we take half-hearted actions, have half-hearted outcomes. We have an environment and just keeps on going in place. So what I do is I say, look, you got to go in and be with your, your secret self. Got him, Todd Herman uh, calls it your alter ego. And what that is, you show up in that moment like as yourself, but not yourself. So when the coach comes and says, hey, I need you to go out there and do this. Like in football, I knew if I didn't go do that, coach is pulling me. So if I want to play, all right, I got to go in and spear this guy or go hard. Like, you know, I got to, I got to go and make this tackle, this jump, whatever it is. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't me, but I shut off the, the judging. I shut the, the Anthony off, which essentially really is kind of our coach. And I went out and just did my thing. And then what happens when I am the, like the coach, I'm on the sideline watching myself in the game. I'm just letting him do it. When he comes back, then I can coach him like, Hey, do a good job. Or I don't know about that. So secret self is a person you send on the field. And you sit back in the sideline and say, oh, we're going to see what they do. <laughs> when that person goes out in the field and they just go blow up the wedge, well, it's that separation between the emotion and the action. A lot of us, we don't take unconfident action. We're too scared to think of you know, the judgments. What are they going to say? What if I do bad? How's it expose me to this thing? I'm going to look bad. So what I look at, I say, if you can go into the field and be that person just for a moment and go boldly, secret self, just show up as you but not you, well, all of a sudden you get a different outcome. Outcome gives a different environment, different environment, different identity, opens a loop. I get a different beliefs and thoughts and feelings and emotions and just it starts rolling uphill. And so if someone's at home, like, what do I do? First off, you got to start thinking about what are those actions that scare the dog crap out of you? What are the things that you know you got to do, but they overwhelm you that you need to get to the point where you do that thing that scares you like it's your typical Tuesday morning? Like, oh, it's just it's what I do. And that only happens when you get in and you start taking those unconfident actions as a secret self and show up and show up and show up. And the more you do it, little by little, you've created, you've done this thing. And now it goes from like, it was a 10 of pain, but you came back, you did it again. It was a nine of pain. 
And he came back and it was an eight. It was a seven. It was a six. And it goes all the way down to one. And most people think one goes to zero and it's no pain. When the reality is it goes to joy. And that's kind of the aspect of what it boils down to is like the joy is a peace you're seeking. And, and really when we get to that joy level, it's a whole new beautiful place. And that's what I look for people is like the thing used to scare you. And now it's like, oh, my God, I love this thing whole different change of pace, whole different flow. And that's what I'm, I'm looking for people to do is take the actions that build you into that place where this thing no longer scares you, but it's who you are and you find joy in doing it. Yeah, I think about like, um, you mentioned cold calls, for example, earlier, right? Like, I, I mean, I, that to me scares the, I mean, I, 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 of course I've, I've reached out to people uh, cold, but, um, but that idea of like, I remember my dad told me like, he was like, yeah, you got to like call 10 people, you know, maybe two people will say maybe, and one will say yes, but it's, it's about, you know, you got to do 10, you know, like building that muscle of being willing to like face rejection and, and the person that is willing to make those calls is going to see such profound benefits. So, Always. Uh, and I, I, I think that relates, actually, I wanted to ask you this particularly, because one of the things, you know, when we had met, I, w- I was like, I got to get you on the show. But recently on your Instagram, I saw you post about um, this workout uh, routine you have for the next 90 days. And I, I mentioned this yeah. bef- before we, you know, before we went on camera. But one of the things that hit me was I was like, you know, I had a goal prior to the, this whole uh, pandemic lockdown of getting in the best shape of my life. Right. And then circumstances shifted, <laughs> and so did my. And I was almost there, actually. I almost hit it. I joined the gym. Yeah. I got the fit. I got the hit training. I got yoga. I'm alternating every day. Then all of yeah. a sudden, can't go to the gym, and uh, and also, frankly, I'm stressed. So I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm still good on my nutrition, but I'm I'm hitting the gluten free brownies with a little more regularity. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm getting into the yeah, dance. And all of a sudden, I I noticed. Oh, okay, I'm back up to where I started. Like I almost hit my goal, then I got back where I started. So I was like, yeah. all right, I'm doing Anthony. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this 90-day workout because this man knows what, what's up, obviously, uh, from, from the NFL experience, et cetera. But what, what about from a health perspective? Like, I, I obviously, and I'll link to it, I definitely recommend, join me on the journey. I'm going to do your 90-day protocol. But what's, nice. your, what's, your, what's your sense, man, of how people can stay? Because obviously our physical, our physical uh, has such a correlation, uh, our physical health nice. on, on, on our mental health. And also, yeah. frankly, right now, I mean, immunity is the name of the game, uh, given the fact that we're amidst a pandemic. And not to say that mm-hmm. workout is going to protect you necessarily from a virus, but I just think overall uh, management of fear and just keeping your, your immune system robust. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, because obviously you're, 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 I saw you, you're, you're a pretty fit human, uh, and, you, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know what's up. So what are your recommendations on health during these times, and, and physical yeah, health right. in particular? You know, it's interesting because a lot of it is uh, stress is a bad, bad uh, aspect that we have it right now. And a lot of people are stressed, which does lead to your immune system dropping, cortisol levels rising. You get sick easier. And at the same time, if you have a healthier body, your, your immune system is stronger. You can handle things. But also outside of that, just sheer brain chemical balance, right? There's a, a Dr. John Rady has a book called Spark. Uh, and it's about how the brain is tied to the body. Most people think that my body is designed to carry my brain around. I'm just going to go here and think of this and do that. Like, it's not the case. In fact, your body can actually fuel the brain. There's something called BDNF, or brain-derived neurotrophic factor that comes post-workout, which actually helps build the synapse of the brain, levels out neuro, you know, neuropinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, like all these cool things in your brain that make you not eat other people's faces like a zombie. You know, like it's the <laughs> things that level you out. And so what happens is a lot of people just, they shut down. Their body goes just kaput, and they don't realize like you're, you're clogging your brain up. You're not, you're not 
having joy and you can't focus, you get nothing done. And that leads to the psychology of who you are and how you operate, how much you suck, all because you didn't get your 30 burpees a day, you know? So those little things um, can actually prepare you to be able to get more done that, that fuels your psychology. So if I get up and do 30 minutes, you know, the, the gym in a bag program that, that you're talking about, like 30 minutes of that gets you a good pump. You feel good. And damn it, if I don't get up in the morning on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I hit the gym and I come back with my muscles bulging. If I don't feel sexy and get into that day feeling good, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> real flow. talk. And then I, I'm, I'm in a different area in my mind. Then I feel great. And I create something great, and the wheel spins uphill. And that's what a lot of people aren't doing. They're just trying to start the wheel from like a dead stop, but the battery's dead. Yeah. Ah, makes total sense, man. Um, so any, any particular exercises, uh, obviously we, we all link to the program, but is there anything like yeah. for those who are just like bound to their house? Um, yeah. I, I'm fortunate in that I live on the beach. I, I hate running, but I've just started running every day just cause it's like, I need to get, I can still social distance. I can stay six feet away from people and I, I get a little cardio in. Um, yeah. I'm going to start obviously when the, when the gym in the bag comes in, I'm going to start doing obviously the resistance bands. I noticed nice. my tendency to want to go get all the kettlebells and I was like, you know what? Like, let, let me start. I can, but like, let me start with the technician first. Cause I do have a tendency to be like, oh, I'm going to wow. get all the equipment, you know? And then it's like, yeah. okay, let me, let me actually earn it first. But what, what, what yeah. is there any basic exercises you, you recommend that are, that anyone can do at home just to like keep them in a good, in a good way? Yeah. I mean, there's things you'll find uh, like wall runs. If you can't run, you can do like hands against the wall, lean into the wall and just do pretty much high knees at a lane. So it kind of covers up some of that running. Running is good. There's a difference between cardiovascular health, which is good for just blood flow, sheer blood flow, and then like musculature, right? Doing band resistance training, weights, kettlebells, whatever you want to do. Um, but if you have body weight, some of the simple things you could do, like go ahead and just do burpees to start with. You could do push-ups. You could do sit-ups. You can do squats. You don't have to be doing a workout to build muscle. The goal really is just to get your heart rate up and burn calories. It's really what exercise is. And you don't have to be trying to do something that, you know, Susan, who is like a, a fitness model, is telling you to do with buying a bunch of weights at the house and like throwing up in your toilet because she made you just run too hard. Like, you don't got to do all that. <laughs> just, just do a little bit more than you're used to. Elevate your heart rate. Get like to that 100 beats per minute if it's in your range. Like do something that elevates like just your sheer sense of like exertion and you feel better, man. It just it re- Every time I do a workout afterwards, I feel good. Unless I haven't eaten food and I feel fatigued. But even then, you feel good and it fuels you a little differently for the next moments of your day. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. Okay, we're 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 getting close to uh, to the end here. And so, in, yeah. in essence, my man, if there were one or two things, resources, uh, and and actually, first, let's start here. Where where can people find you online? What's the best way to reach out and and tap into your work? Yeah, uh, Instagram, man, at Anthony Trucks on Instagram, super easy. Or if you want to just kind of go and peruse my life, go to at uh, Anthony Trucks or go to AnthonyTrucks.com. So that's pretty much going to be it. And my website has my bio and all the information. And then Instagram is where I spend the majority of my time. Okay, beautiful. And in terms of in terms of that, in terms of uh, kind of Instagram, I'm going to pop back on live here real quick. But yes, is there one or two, like whether it be books or films, people have obviously a little bit more time at home right now. Are there any, uh, yeah. any, any, uh, I call mind vitamins, any things that you, that you think, uh, people that you, that you loved or watched recently, read recently that people could tap into that you think, um, uh, might be, uh, on point. You know what? So I guess for me, like the, uh, the things I look at, I like documentaries and weird stuff. So I'm looking at this one, I watched it called uh, year million on Disney. It's like a national geographic type thing. And I think it's really cool because what they do is essentially they go in and they fast forward everything to the year million, which isn't like, it's not actually a million years, but it's like, 
if you were to fast forward to a, a time in the future, which we can't even perceive, that's pretty much what a year million is. And it's actually kind of cool. So I've been watching that on National Geographic. Uh, we've been watching the thing called Amazing Stories on uh, on TV. Was it Apple TV Plus, which is pretty cool. Outside of that, outside of that, man, we just I let the kids pick stuff. They don't know what the hell they're watching. You know, what we watched last night is a family show called Super Eight. I like those old Goonie styles, like you know, like eighties ish movies. I love those things. So that's what we've been doing. Been crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah. I, we just tuned back into the Instagram uh, family. For those of you that are just joining us, we actually, I think, hit our limit during the podcast. So uh, never had that happen before. Yeah, me either. I've never done it before. Thank you, Anthony Trucks. Now I want to take a moment to see if uh, anyone on here. So for those who just joined that maybe weren't on before, Anthony is an epic uh, former NFL athlete, uh, transcended incredible uh, circumstances in his life. Uh, I'll obviously share all of this in the podcast we just we just did, which was uh, phenomenal. Um, but uh, this is my first kind of experience with live. If anyone has a question, it would be awesome. Just do do me a proper and ask one question because then I will feel like this experiment was a success. I do see some waving. We got some waving. We did. I mean, we had some questions come in, but we somehow we dropped off after now. We, we, lost, we lost our feed somehow. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it, you guys, are, it, you still, are you still there, guys? No, we're not there. No, we're not there. We, we dropped out. Um, so anyway, if you guys do have a quick question, we'll probably stay on for another minute, uh, and we'd love to answer it. But um, in, in, in the meantime, um, what are you most looking forward to, man? I think a lot of times we get in this, again, the Paslow hierarchy kind of takes us down into like oh you know we're in this pandemic you know but but i yeah. think we can flip that script and actually think about things we're we're really excited about or looking forward to yeah. i know i know mm -hmm. for me the book i'm like okay i'm excited to actually like take this little personal retreat but what are you excited Same about here. right now you know so one the book is actually i'm writing a book too uh I've, I've been kind of in the background building it structuring it now it's time to write it write it like i've organized the thoughts the concepts stories data i want to put into it so it's there now I gotta actually start typing words onto the screen. That's gonna be lots of fun. Uh, and outside of that, man, I'm just I'm enjoying the time with the family. Like I'm excited about doing what I do. I I think some people are seeking the end destination as like the place to feel happy. I found that the destination for me is the journey. I get to get up and live a life I genuinely love every day. And the things that I do that I love, they move the needle. So I reach end destinations. I keep hitting mountain peaks and mountaintops. So I'm cool, man. I just do my thing. I, I'm excited about just getting up and being happy. Because that, that brings coolness to my life, man. I love that. We, did, we just got a, a question from Miss Christina. She said, what are some mm -hmm. motivations we can have during this time when anxiety is high? Um, we did talk about that a bunch in the podcast, but uh, so check that out if you haven't yet. Um, but, yeah, what do you – man, you know, some people are definitely in an anxious place. Uh, we talked a little bit – we, we actually yeah. talked a bunch about it on the show. But, but for those who are just tuning in now, what are some of the tips that you can give them in terms of, like, the mindset or any physical practices, what you're doing to, to sort of assuage anxiety at the moment? Yeah, man. So whenever I get to the point of being anxious or cooped up in the house, we, we get out of the house. There, I talked about earlier, but action is what ends suffering. And, and the suffering can be simply the anxiety of like, I got this thing in my head. And it's kind of like this, uh, this car with no e-brake running down a hill. The thoughts just go. And we just, we, we find a weird groove in that negative, like, the, like that weird heavy weight in our chest and think about, I'm, I'm not going to have any money and no one's going to hire me and I'm going to have no, and all da 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 
And where your focus goes, energy flows. It always does. My focus goes there. My energy flows there. And I have womp, womp, womp energy. And so what I do is it sounds odd. And people are like, they seriously, it's crazy. Is people will hear the stuff and not do it. So damn it, do these things I'm about to tell you. Get out of your house and go and move a little bit. I don't need you to go and do like a, a CrossFit workout and try to like be in the CrossFit games tomorrow. I need you to go for like a walk or do some lunges, go for a jog, like go get out and just seriously shut. Give yourself a brain shut off. Gift yourself with 15 minutes without your mental problems. Gift. I didn't say give. Gift yourself because your brain needs that. Because what happens is something else pops into your brain and your focus goes there. The problem is still there in the background, but you're never going to fix that problem if all you're thinking about is the problem. You have to focus your energy onto something else so that what happens, I call it 95-5. If we spend 95% of our time stewing on the problem and 5% fixing it, it persists. If I flip it and say, let me spend 95% of my time getting out of this problem, 5% stewing on it, the problem gets solved. And I'm doing something of better joy and something it actually takes me somewhere else. So spend your time moving, doing something, get out of the space where you're stuck in the anxiety and you find that the anxiety gets less and less and less and that problem gets solved also. Can't do the action to solve that problem from the place of pain because you have anxiety. I love that. Yeah. Movement Movement also is just one of the greatest reframes, right? I mean, anytime we start getting two in our head, uh, I think uh, it's time to move, to shift the thought. And the best way to shift the thought is to get into your body and out of your, out of your uh, yeah. monkey mind, so to speak. I did see a, another question. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce the name. Yeah, monkey mind. That's, that's from my old Vipassana Buddhist days. Uh, Odiashi, I think, was the name. Forgive me if I mispronounced it because I was, I, was, I was watching Anthony speak. But she asked, she said, basically, do you have any recommendations around marketing tactics? Because she said she just started a new women's athleta leisure, or I don't mm-hmm. know exactly how you pronounce that, athleisure brand, athleisure. and was asking about, <laughs> about um, any marketing tactics. And obviously, you are, uh, you're very good at this. So, um, yeah, I, I'd be actually very curious. What, what's, your, what's your marketing game look like? Yeah, so for me, marketing is different than advertising. So for most people, I think advertising, like get a discount on my stuff, is their marketing. And it's not your marketing. It, your marketing is what gives value to your advertising. So if somebody says, I'm going to give 20% discount, but you see there's value or they see value and, oh my gosh, I got to buy that 20% off, right? There's brands that like, if you get like 20% off, like on there, some people like 20% off, like what the, I don't even know what that thing is. So marketing is going to be awareness in a marketplace. So one is make sure you have a streamlined, uh, clear message for what your brand is or about or doing or solving. You can't get it muddled up in, in a society where everybody's online, everybody has something to sell. You have to be very clear to who you're talking to and what problem you're solving for them with your athleisure wear or how you make them feel good or aspiration they want to be part of. And then you got to tell that story over and over again and create engaging content. And if you can, Create a community around the concept. The community is what you need. The, the first 100 buyers or the, the, the dream 100 people that are part of your, your company, seek them out. Because those people are the ones that will invest not only now but in the future and also bring more people into it. But they won't be part of something that they can't pass a torch with. Like if I can't tell my friend about it or be, you know, this is a cool thing you got to see or share this, it's going to die inside of each person's hands. So give them something they can pass on. And then it'll be easier to do everything else from there. Yeah, Kevin Kelly talks about the thousand true fans. I think so many people, and especially in our social media landscape, think, oh, I've mm-hmm. got to have X million followers, this and that. It's actually way more about who your true people are. And, and that comes, to yeah. at least from my point of view, from building, like you said, valuable, authentic content around a particular message that people resonate and relate to and that they, that they want to share. Because best marketing, hands down, is word of mouth 
from me to someone who trusts me. Uh, and so, yeah. like, you know, Anthony Trucks, I'm going to go tell people about it. Obviously, I did the podcast, um, which is part of my uh, – I don't even look at it as marketing. I look at it as community building. But Don't I'm going to go talk you. about you because uh, you, uh, I was, I've been blown away by our conversation, right? And not that you're doing it for that reason, but it's just like, to me, I think so many people think about the tactics, and I think the tactics are important without question. Yeah. But I think the being, uh, we're still humans with a tribal mindset that want to connect with yeah. each other and want to share stories yeah. about things we found that were very valuable. And so I, I like mm-hmm. that, that no, notion you, sh- you shared about the torch carriers. But like we got to make it easy for other people to carry carry the torch. Um, yeah, let's see if there's any final questions. I want to I want to be respectful of my man's time. He's already given us a, a great deal of it. So um, I just want to say uh, it's been an absolute honor and a, and a pleasure, yeah, man. It's been it's been fun. Uh, thank you guys all who tuned who tuned in. Really appreciate the Instagram live. It was a bit of fun. I've never done it before, so thanks for making it uh, a, a success. And. Uh, and this won't be our, our last conversation, my friend. I look forward to seeing you hopefully in L.A. in the not-so-distant future when it's healthy to do so again. And yeah, uh, until then, nice. man, best to you and your family. Nice. Same to you, man. You pronounce your name right, Odiashi. <laughs> All right. Fun. Thanks, Anthony oh, and Michael. You, pronounce my name right. Okay, good. Anthony Michael. Oh, you pronounce it. I don't know. Maybe I. Maybe you did. I did. I did. I got it. Somebody did. Somebody got it right. I don't know. We're, we, we, we figured it out. I apologize for messing it up. I'm not very good with linguistics all the time. Sometimes I get the names right. But, hey, man, seriously, thank you for having me on. Appreciate you. I thank everybody else who joined in. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. That's it. Oh, Michael, Michael got it. You got it. Thanks, Michael guys. I'm going to end now. Take care. Be well. All right. Take care. And there you have it, Anthony Trucks with a little bonus Instagram live Q&A at the end. Uh, trying to find new ways to really just engage with the community, especially with all that's going on in the world right now with the coronavirus and people being cooped up. So thank you guys so much for asking questions. If you want to hit us up at Anthony Trucks, at Michael Trainer on Instagram, uh, tag us, let us know your greatest insights. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll ping you back. Also, if you haven't, please go ahead and leave a, uh, a rating and review on iTunes. It means the world to me. helps us uh, grow the community and, and helps me, frankly, bring in uh, great guests for you guys. So I hope you're getting a lot of joy and, and insight from the podcast. I'm getting a tremendous amount of joy in bringing it to you. I feel a sense of deep purpose in it. I feel on purpose, and I think especially in challenging times, It's really important to have things that feel like uh, purposeful work. And so even though I'm basically pushing out now um, just in the spirit of of love and and offering, I haven't even been doing uh, sponsors, it feels so good to just be putting this out there for you guys. So all of your comments, your ratings, reviews, your, your DMs, your emails mean the world to me. If you haven't yet, sign up for the newsletter. I put out one newsletter a week, uh, and it's been getting great feedback. So if you want to sign up, it's at peakmind.org, and uh, it's totally free, and I put in a a tremendous amount of assets um, and insights that you can use uh, to action in your own life. So with that, thank you guys for listening, and once again, please go out there and live your inspired life.